Mr. Derek Veenhoff. He's better known as Deke. Nah. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Nah. Yeah, Deke. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Decast. This is episode 87. We're here with Nicholas Pickles. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to meet you, Derek. Yes. And uh, Nicholas Pickles, you may remember him from Video and Arcade Top 10, of course. And uh, But before we get into the history and all that, uh, why don't you remind folks, tell us what you're up to these days. Oh, good. What am I doing these days? I host a radio show uh, in Buffalo, New York, uh, radio station KISS 98.5. I do the morning show, which I have done, um, I think, my almost my entire run on Video and Arcade Top 10. Uh, I had been doing a morning show in Buffalo, or at least involved with a station at some point. So um, the show, the TV show, predates the radio show, but then the radio show has lasted a lot longer. And I've worked at a few other stations. Um, radio has kind of always been my thing. Um, and like you, DJing, nightclubs, stuff like that has always been my thing. So I still do that. Um, I dabble in uh, what's called sports music now. Um, Basically, I play games at sporting events. Like if you go to a Bills game, there's a guy playing music during the game. That's me. If you were to go to a Sabres game in the last however many years, and I just stopped doing that. But, um, you know, that music that plays between puck drops and stuff, that would be me. And um, it's turned into a thing. So it's it's a form of DJing, but it's it's very... uh, very specific. So those are the things that I do now. So you said the show predates that the radio show, but were you, what, what is your origin story? Did you, did you always have these talents or did you have to get an education first or how did you develop uh, your skills, so to speak? I, it's a fun, it's a very peculiar skill set. Um, I don't know how I developed it. I just always kind of did stuff with music. I always, uh, my mom always said I would sit in front of the turntable at home and play music and then I would also mess around. My dad had like a cassette deck and I would, I would rebuild songs, like edit them with pause and play and record and stuff like that, because I'd like certain part of the songs. I'm like, well, I want that. I was doing editing as a young kid, like as a very young kid doing that kind of stuff without having the editing tools, <clears throat> you know, we're talking no computers, none of that, just a pause and play button. So stupid stuff like that, that turned into, I would DJ in high school, DJ dances and stuff like that, Mm. that turned into um, DJing nightclubs at a really young age. And then, um, and then got into radio fairly young, got into, I was working nightclubs very young um, before I was old enough to drink when I was 16, I was DJing nightclubs and then got into working at a radio station. And my first radio station was uh, up in Brampton, CFNY, which was at the time 102.1. It's the Edge 102 now in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But um, before they were downtown Toronto, they had a little studio up in Brampton. And it was a really special place with kind of, I don't know, um, very uniquely talented people. Like just a really interesting time to get into radio and just kind of got in and turned that into what is now a radio career. And that station, someone at that station actually looped me in to auditioning for video on Arcade Top 10. So that all sort of transitioned all at the same time. So they say they all have something to do with one another. I did go to Ryerson. I did attend RTA and um, Lola, are you printing something out? Lola, come here. (laughs) Come here. Say this is Derek. Hi. Yeah. So, all right. Scram kid. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> while I'm talking to you, there's a printer to my side. Yeah. My daughter's like printing stuff out. It's very funny. Anyhow, sorry to distract, but that's, um, that's kind of the, the story. There's a, there's a lot that goes along with all of these different influences, but between getting into college, which I didn't complete, um, I actually got a gig about two semesters in. I ended up getting a job editing video at a really nice studio. And I don't know, Derek, if you've ever been to like a, like a proper studio, it defines it for me. If there's like leather couches, like black leather couches and dim lighting, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is a studio. This is like what you see. This is what it's supposed to be. And it was one of those studios. So I was drawn in. I'm like, I don't need college, man. I'm going to go get paid, you know, 10 bucks an hour or something to edit video. And I did. And here we are. Wow. So the show itself was 91 to 2005 or six? 2006. 2006. So, yeah. and you said you, you auditioned, but there's a story there where you were, you had replaced uh, a host that had left or something like that, right? They're the initial host. Um, I was not the initial lead host. I was literally like the, um, however you want to rank hosts. I was at the bottom, the very, I was like the, you know, the, I think there were four people on the show at the time. Um, it was Gordon Liza, another person I don't remember, and then me. And I had replaced someone that that fourth role had shifted and kind of um, they'd gone through a lot of people. And I'll never forget, um, I showed up at the last taping date of the first season. And I say last taping date because they would do, I think, four episodes in a taping date. So the last, uh, what were we, maybe 50 shows in or something like that. I came in and... I remember Fromer, Liza Fromer was a little like standoffish, like no one's talking to me. No one's particularly friendly. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I pissed you guys off or something. And she goes, no, no, no. Just we've gone through a new person every time. So we're not going to bother to get to know you because they will probably replace you. Ironically, a couple seasons in maybe two or three seasons in, and I don't remember the timeline, but Gord, who was the original lead host, you know, the first guy talking, whatever. Um, he had another commitment or got another gig or couldn't make that taping date. And the producer of the show just said, get Nick to do it. And, you know, I'm like, get me to do what? And he's like, you do the lead part. <laughs> and I did. And it just kind of clicked. And I, I literally jumped in, you know, both feet just started doing it. And I don't know. It worked out. So I did that right up until the end of the show. So I would say I did about 730 episodes of video in arcade top 10. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I think I read it was one of the longest running Canadian. I don't know if it's daytime or something. Uh, kids, it, yeah. I do know the stack because my friend actually looked it up. It is um, the longest running Canadian kids game show. Right, if that's right. a record, we've got it. Right, and and you you said uh, a lot of the other hosts uh, would turn over pretty quickly, uh, but you lasted the whole time. I mean, did you ever get bored? Did you ever change your opinions of it, or did you just kind of get better and better um, at it over the years? I didn't. I didn't have an opinion other than it was fun and it was something to do, and um, they gave you a check when you showed up, which was <laughs> to me kind of a magical thing. I, like so, so young guy living in Toronto, literally trying to pay the bills that mattered, and it, it, it it's it makes me chuckle. I didn't, I didn't think about it as much as I should have at the time. Probably mm. it was just something to do. And I made sure I was in the studio always like show up, do your thing, do the best you can and, um, and go with it. 
Yeah. So you've talked before about uh, obviously in the States, it's a lot of competition for celebrity and that. But in Canada, um, you know, a lot of my friends or peers, everybody knows who you are, like whether it's from Edmonton, Calgary, like Vancouver, Toronto, like people know your name and they remember the show, especially people who are, you know, millennials. So um, what has that been like, like uh, over the years, you know, people still recognize you in that? Oh, Derek. Um, Yes. And to answer your question, people do recognize me, but I got to tell you, like the most random weirdest places <laughs> where you will get a stare from someone that, and so I don't, um, especially in the last year, I don't go to Canada a lot, but I do travel like, so without any border um, COVID stuff, I probably go once every couple of weeks. Uh, I've got family right across the border and, you know, and do some shopping and stuff. So I'm literally on the border. So Crossing is not a problem. And my wife always gets a kick out of, she's like, that guy's staring at you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, 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 it's weird. And so I'll get like a guy staring at me. And I'm like, is he 30? And she goes, yeah, he's maybe 32. And I'm like, video on arcade top 10. I'm like, I guarantee you that guy's like, um, knows he knows me from somewhere. Sometimes they can place you. And then yeah. sometimes they just know that like you are a familiar face but the, the weirdest one was um, I was up in Bancroft of all places. My sister's got a place up there. So we're up in Bancroft. I'm with my siblings. We don't get together that much, but we're all together. And we're standing in line at whatever checkout, you know, supermarket. And the guy behind me starts like freaking out. And my sister's like, that guy's having a seizure or something. And I look at him and he goes, you're Nicholas Pickles. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. And it, he was a curiously odd fellow, but a huge fan. And he could not believe that I turned up in his little, you know, neck of the woods yeah. up in Bancroft, Ontario. Nicest guy in the world. Huge fan of the show. Had written multiple letters and was just like, it was as weird for me as it was for him. So yes, you do get recognized. Um, I get recognized and it's, it's an, always an experience and I appreciate it. Like it's, I'll tell you something. I've got a little boy who's six years old and we're driving in the car today and um, we hear my voice on the radio and he goes, dad, are you famous? And I said, well, it depends who you ask. You're asking Derek, maybe, <laughs> yeah. um, but for the most part, no, I'm just, just a dad driving a kid to the car wash. You know, it's, it's no big thing. So uh, it's, it's a fun thing. Yeah, no, that's cool. So if we could talk more about the show, uh, you know, so the title of the show, Video and Arcade Top 10, I never really thought about it that much. But so it, so video refers to, is this just a generic term? We, we know that you're playing arcade games, video games, but mm -hmm. uh, and then the top 10 refers to, if I'm not mistaken, that there would be whatever the top 10 selling games were at the time would be listed or something. Is that how does it, how, would it make sense of the title for me? I, I didn't come up with the title. Uh, I can tell you a very smart guy did a guy named Robert Essery who um, was part of uh, Casey Kasem's American top 40. Mm. He was part of a bunch of other shows, just really creative go getter, get it done by any means necessary kind of guy. Uh, he has passed away. So I can't answer for him as to what the name of the show is. I think it was just something that crossed his mind. He needed a show that captured, um, you know, if you backtrack back to 1991 when the show was, you know, on air, and then probably he came up with the name a year before that, I assume, um, 
you had to go to an arcade to play video games. And I'm talking like, you know, yeah. arcades are cool and kitschy now. If, if you go to Tilt in Toronto or something, that's a lot of fun. But before they were sketchy kind of places like a pool hall with some video games or whatever. I mean, you know what an arcade is. Mm -hmm. um, I think he was drawing on that from his experience. And I'm just going by knowing his age and where he was from. And then um, the videos, you know, obviously video games were just, I want to say they were just getting started. They were, they were pretty hot at the time, but it exploded during the run of the show during those 15 years, it exploded with even a brighter future ahead, but it really, it took off. So I don't know the name of the game. We didn't do a, um, we didn't do like a countdown top 10 video game list. We would basically talk about whatever was hot or whatever Nintendo was promoting at the time. Cause it was a heavily partnered show with Nintendo at the time. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask about that too. So that the various uh, movies that you showcase or the music um, and the video games that were played, the, obviously there mm -hmm. was some sort of partnerships or, or deals. I don't know about that. And so the, in the show, they would talk about music and movies and stuff. I don't know how that was written. There were several writers that they went through on the show. Um, having worked, I, I assume that there was a relationship. We had a relationship. We were co-produced by YTV. I'm pretty sure there was a YTV person that would connect you with the record labels, the movie studios that are promoting whatever they're promoting, you know, right. And it's, it's a machine, the, right? So the, you can, yeah. you can just call somebody uh, PR over at Warner and say, Hey, we're doing this show. It's a youth oriented show. What you got for me? And they will send you whatever they're plugging. That makes sense. I guess for the viewer's point of view, uh, you just, you, you want to be relevant say like, here's, here's what's hot right now. Here's what you want to be checking out. And it sort of all relates, uh, you know? Yeah. Culture. I don't know where they got there. I don't know what the top 10 was based on, or if there was a, there was certainly no, like, um, is there, there's, there's obviously a, like a, you know, top game chart now somehow. I, yeah, I don't know what like you that. would go on IGN and see what the top 10 selling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So there was nothing like that then there was just, um, Hey, they've got this new game coming out or Mario Kart or whatever. Like um, these franchises would like pick up like the Mario Kart franchise just exploded. Oh God. I just remember when that, that was like the biggest thing. So, and Donkey Kong and it was, it was fun at the time. Yeah, you know, the, the time frame of the show was so interesting, 91 to 2006 or whatever we said. I mean, that's 2006 with the PlayStation 3 would have come out. So that's sort of when things really got going with the the, the new modern graphics and esports and all that got yeah. much bigger at that point. And obviously, like you mentioned, 91 was just the, t the tail end or the beginning of all these you know arcade stuff, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter and all. Yeah, all the, so the, the, the idea of having an in-home game system had gone from a very... Um, early version of like ColecoVision or um, Atari 2600. Um, you know, the Nintendo has, they were sort of the first, like, I want to say like common, like you'd find one in many homes, someone in your class had one and then more kids had them. You know what I mean? It was, a, it, it, it was, it was the explosion. It was the beginning. It was the start of in-home gaming. What is now esports? You could walk that little path right back to an in-home Nintendo system. Yeah, did you did you anticipate at all what games would turn into? You know, um, absolutely mean, nobody, not. Yeah, nobody um, could have really predicted. But uh, you know, no, you guys it seemed like a passport. Really. It seemed like a fun thing to do. I had no idea esports would um, would would be a thing. And I, I think you're you know you still have a generation um, <laughs> trying to explain what esports is, and yes, for yeah. them it's just kids playing video games, and and obviously that will fade away, and it just becomes part of what people do, but. Um, we're, we're kind of in the middle of that transition from, 
from really appreciating what esports is and the fun and the the getaway factor of it. Yeah, I mean, Toronto's now looking at building this five hundred million is it uh, dollar uh, arena that's just going to be for esports. I, I I saw a concept art of it, and I'm I don't know if that price tag was correct, but I'm like, how like this is just grown to you know uh, unimaginable uh, levels at this Dude, point. Dude, it's it's a real thing. There's no denying it. There's no escaping it. It's just a you know there's a a generational gap to explain to people that it's legit. Like anything yeah. else, you got to yeah. just realize there are people right now listening to you that are like, of course, these sports is a thing. How could it not be? When, when wasn't it a thing? There was a time when it wasn't, and it's not that long ago. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so the kids that were playing the games on the show, now I I'm confused about this because when they were showing footage of the game, was it actually the kid playing? Like they would show the kid's mm-hmm. face and then they'd show that was actually um, the person playing or oh God, it was, I would say it was, um, when possible and logistically available, yes. Right. If there was for some reason we had some we had uh technical problems would arise or whatever, if um I, I don't even know why, but at some point they'd be like, We need some b-roll footage of someone playing the game that's not one of these four kids, because whatever's going on with I want to say like a a logistical technical issue of we can't get this live footage to the production truck to make it look right. So I know that there was almost always sort of um, extra footage, B-roll footage or whatever you want to call it, um, that would be on standby. The, the, the main thrust was to, to show the kids playing, but I do know that at times they would have to cut to uh, pre-captured footage of the, the kids playing. But essentially, and I'll say, I don't know, 99% of the times, what you saw on the screen to the side or whatever were these kids trying to make their way through whatever level. And some clearly were better than others. The fun part, Derek, was when you got a game that was not released yet. No one's, they've maybe had 10 minutes to play on it and no one has a clue what they're doing. And I just look at it, I was like, okay, we're all just stuck on the same first room. We haven't moved on and it would stay there for like 10, 15 minutes. And so I think at those times they might go to B-roll. At least I would as a, as a TV producer, I'd be like, we got to get something going here. And sometimes you might have to help one of the contestants through yes. something like that. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. We had some producers. Um, there were a couple guys uh, that worked on the show that would kind of, God, you'd see them in some shots, but they would like creep under where the people were and kind of help them and, and point, you know, use your B button, B button or something. And then right. you'd see them kind of slink away and we would have to like stand over here to make sure that they didn't catch whatever production assistant was assisting at the time. And uh, sometimes some of the violence in some of the games, you, you, yeah. you guys would have to stop uh, or, or not we play would certain have titles. To or... Okay, you get to select your weapon. Don't select the knife. Um, don't <laughs> select the gun. It was, you know, we, we were aired on YTV and they had, you know, obvious policy, uh, no stabbing, shooting, um, that kind of stuff. And it became very difficult at one point. It seemed like every game out there was ultra violent yeah and um that's just that's just the nature of the biz so at one point that i believe it uh you had to change to uh the ratings of the, of the games could only did we, be did we change rated. the rating of the show i think or it what said at one point that the games they would choose would only be e-rated oh uh, I think that um mid mid yeah i think it uh maybe it was g whatever they rated it yeah we would we were basically playing little kid games and these kids would come in and they were like 14 years old. Going, <laughs> Where's the mortal Kombat? Where's the, exactly. <laughs> Why can't I pick the knife? What's going on? And I'm like, mm. so, um, and the, the ages, 
the ages of the kids would range from like, you know, eight years old or seven years old to 14, 15 years old. And that's a huge jump in maturity for a kid. Yeah. And I mean, the, again, we're talking about the 1990s where when those games first came out, like the Mortal Kombat's and that they had all this legal challenge that was going on, especially in the United States and Congress and that, that, uh, you know, like we talked about the generational gap, these yeah. generations didn't understand uh, what was happening. It was all happening so quickly. And these kids are just like, it was like drugs to these kids, right? These video games, they just had to get it. And, uh, you know, huh. we're all familiar with the bone storm episode of the Simpsons where Bart, uh, <laughs> Had to get that copy, you know. Wait, side note, you're a Simpsons fan? Simpsons head, yeah. Okay, I want, I don't know if it exists. It probably does. I want an alarm clock that wakes me up to Simpsons phrases. Okay. I want it to gently play the Simpsons theme because I think it's a beautiful theme. But then what I really want is I want phrases like Oppenatum or uh, Hot Dog, We've Got a Wiener, it's KBBL or something. Like I want those lines those classic Simpsons lines as my snooze button or something like that. If you could find one for me, if it exists. Um, yeah. If I can't find one for you, maybe I'll make one for you just cause I'm yeah, kind of, are you? I'm not technically whatever, but I, I could pull that. in a team to work on it. I'm not myself alone, but I, I could find the guys that could, that could probably make Dude, it. Happen, so I'm telling you, I, I think a Simpsons alarm clock clock will be fine. I, I, every day I wake up and I'm like, up and atom and, <laughs> I don't know why it's, you know, um, oh, it's, it's classic stuff. Um, okay. So my, what my wife doesn't let me watch the Simpsons here. She thinks they're cartoons and that I shouldn't watch cartoons cause I'm an adult. Well, so, you gotta, you gotta tell her that, you know, there's two, the Simpsons had two things going on. There's two levels to it. You had the Bart, you had the viewers that were Bart. Okay. That was me when I was a kid, but mm -hmm. you, you also had Homer for the adults there's there's a there's two underlying things going on. There's the, the the kid humor. We didn't get the adult jokes when we were kids. They, you know, parents say used to say don't watch the show, but we didn't get the the adult humor. We just watched it for the Bart and Milhouse stuff. Dude, I have some more. I have the 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 CD single for Do the Bart Man. Oh yes, which that was a song. That was a thing, man. That um, was a, a legit song that was released. I mean, that was that a was real a for real song. Capital Records or whatever. Like I remember getting, you know, as a DJ, getting serviced with this CD, and I'm like, "Do the Barman? Why not, man? Hey, man, Technotronics big. Why can't this be huge?" Uh, oh wow. Okay, sorry for the Simpsons tangent, but I'm sure you guys probably played uh, one of the a couple of the Simpsons games. I'm sure we show. did. There, you said that 734. I think every episode is on YouTube. There's an account that has every episode in full. Shut up are you serious yeah it's i don't know i don't know if it's an official thing but it's hold on i want to show you something i'm gonna grab you something <laughs> this is and it's it's in a, a bag but this is the very final episode of video and arcade top oh, wow. 10 the script that wow. i saved um i never saved a script in my life um but uh, this was the last one this was show 768 um god what games were we doing no, I don't even see it. Something about a monkey. Uh, da, 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 I can't remember what it is. Anyhow, this the is the final episode, script you, of the show. Uh, so I, think I, I think I read that you pulled everybody up from the audience to come up on stage or something at the the last episode. Did that? Was that a thing? I did. I, we would have maybe let's check it out on YouTube. That's what people will have to do. They can pull it up. Oh, that's great. That that's that's great. I did. So I get a lot of messages of people asking. Can you get me a copy of my episode? And right. 
literally it's on tape somewhere. There is a master reel of like these three quarter inch or beta or whatever. I don't know what format it's in, but they're tapes. They're in a box. Someone has them. They got digitized. Some of them got digitized when they replayed a few years ago on a, a Canadian game show channel. So there's somewhere, if there's a YouTube that has a lot of them, that's pretty cool. I I'm yeah, I don't know how new it is or what, but I, I stumbled across it and uh, it's kind right of on. funny that you can go back and watch. Um, you know, the, the show was like so fast paced. Everybody uh, gives you kudos to how you could just like. I am a very and... fast reader. I didn't know I was a fast reader, but <laughs> um, understand that we had to hit a certain time and they would tell you. At the, so you'd get to the end of sort of the end of the show and you have to have done, um, you know, the 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 prize wall. You have to have done all this stuff, get the sponsors in, da, 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 da. Sometimes you had two minutes to do that. Sometimes you had 40 seconds to just wrap it up. And so you either had to just rifle through the address so fast and just kind of like go through it very quickly. You really learn to pace either very fast or very slow track it. Right, right. So it's a good skill to have. And I mean, sometimes you guys would make mistakes. I mean, you're going so fast, but people would give you kudos because you could just kind of, even if you made a mistake, you just stumble through it and kind of, that's part of the DJ. Uh, right? oh Some people read better than others and they'd yeah, see yeah. a prompter <laughs> that they weren't good with and would just bowl through it. And I'm like, sure. Why not? That's like, if the director didn't yell cut, I'm not yelling cut. I, they, they would throw words at us sometimes that were just like, are you seriously putting this on a teleprompter for me to like cold read? Um, just funny. It was, it was very, a very wordy writer would sometimes like stumble you up and I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. But I got very good at just kind of glazing over stuff very quickly. A lot of content and a lot of game information. And I really wanted to focus on giving the tips out because uh, for me, I would imagine a viewer's like, how do I do well at this game? That's the whole darn point. How did it work with the, the in-studio uh, players and the, there was a player at home that could win also if their contestant won? Mm -hmm. Did they just have to write in? How did that? Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd send in a letter and the letter, the, the mailbag was legit big, like a very big mailbag, like Santa size. I was going to say, yeah. We got a lot of mail and I, I it would mind boggling when the show was at its like peak. Um, we'll say, I don't know, 2000, 2000 one maybe 2000 2000 something like yeah maybe around there the mailbags like so it's kind of still pre-email for the most part people are sending in letters i would walk in there would be three huge like 50 gallon bags filled with letters and and the office manager shirley would say nick reach in and grab a letter and i would grab some and those would be like those were the letters of the week or whatever or the partner players or they just randomly picked people at home. So you would get linked up. And if whoever you were linked up with one, you also want a copy of the game. I talked to people now uh, who messaged me and said, Hey, I was a home player and I won whatever game. Sometimes they were really cool games. Now, now there's been some comments I've, I've read online where people say the prizes in general were pretty crappy. Now we didn't, <laughs> I don't know what they expected because it was, this was a Canadian show. Was, well, I can't imagine the budget was oh. the biggest in the world. So, yeah. you know, they I had the, I don't want to be nationalist and say <laughs> Canadian game shows don't have as awesome prizes, <laughs> but I will tell you, we did give away buckets of chicken. We gave away, um, I would say an Indiglo watch is a pretty good gift, but we gave away like cordless phones. We gave away um, the game itself. You'd win a copy of the game, which was good for a while. They were giving away books and I'm like, I don't want to make a face, but like I'm watching a video game show 
I don't want a book, man. Like know your audience. Um, Medieval times was actually, I think a pretty good prize, but my favorite episode was um, kid went on the prize wall and he points at one of the props and says, I want that. And the prop was like a, a windsurf, like sailboard. It was like a big sailboard or something like you'd have at your cottage. And it, in my mind, it wasn't one of the prizes, but I said, pick anything you want on the wall and it's on the wall. And I look at the director, Jonathan, and he's like, just give it to him. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. <laughs> and so this kid walked out of here with a really nice, probably $600 big sailboard. That's a smart kid. That was a great kid, man. I wish I'd taken that thing. You could sell that by a bunch of video games, really. So the, the the aesthetic of the show obviously was so 90. It didn't really change much until its end, right? Like it kind of stuck to its guns as far as the way it looked and felt and everything. Uh, well, the, are you talking like the actual, like the staging? The, the, yeah, the, the wall, staging, the, the brick wall behind yeah, the very 90s. The, I could tell you that was probably all the same from 91 till now. There were these um, faux brick walls with graffiti. And there were some, some little Easter eggs in the graffiti that you'd have to watch and kind of check for. Yeah. Um, the set was essentially the same. Um, it kind of looked to me like inspired by uh, whatever Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles layer might be like. Yes, that was the 90s. That, 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 that's, that's, it's yeah, that's, so to me, that was in my mind. Someone said, I want this, but in real life form. So that makes sense. Yes, that's probably what it was. It even reminds me of the WWF uh, Attitude Era. It was just that kind of branding that was very sketchy and kind of, uh, I don't know if you remember that logo when they changed the WWF logo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the 90s. That was, um, you know, yeah, I was- I, there was, there was a, a mistake on Wiki that credited me for doing the theme of the show and it got corrected. It's another guy named Nicholas, uh, Toronto. Yes. Um, you know, music TV composer that did the theme of the show, which um, to this day, when I hear it, I instantly like stand up and, and stare at a camera. Cause do you think you're ready to start reading? Yeah. Yeah. So he, I think, is it true that he worked on a Mega Man theme too? Some sort of, I don't know. Um, I that might be the I've, case. I've read people say it's basically the same song, but. Oh, maybe that's the, what I'm getting. Is yeah. I don't think he worked there. on it. I think mm-hmm. some people just drew comparisons ah. and I don't know which came first, to be honest. I might guess that Nicholas's theme might've come first, but um, I don't know. I just, I'm, I was look. I, when that came up a while ago, I looked at the timeline. I'm like, if it was a ripoff, it was uh composer first Mega Man second. Right. So um, did you get to meet any other cool people in Canadian media and stuff like you? It was a YTV show, but was it actually filmed uh, at YTV's studios? Yeah, it, or? Yeah, yeah, the first few seasons were uh, Liberty Liberty Street um, downtown by the, the old water tower, whatever. I don't know what it is now. It's probably a condo or a condo or maybe a condo. <laughs> um, could be a condo. Yeah. And, uh, the Liberty Street studios where we taped. And then, man, we hopscotched every studio that was available. Uh-oh. Doorline, the Shirley Studios, um, Electric Images, um, CH, CTV. Um, CH was a great studio. And then Pyman, which might be something else, but that's in Mississauga. That was probably the, the last, uh, that was our last stop of studios to work at. But I will tell you, <sighs> The crew, the people behind the scenes, the directors, uh, absolute gold, just absolute wonderful people. 
everybody on that show. Like, I don't think about the games. I don't think about the contestants as much as I think about the crew and the people and, and the, the legitimate friendships I made on that show, which uh, a few years later, still very strong and bonded. So that was a special time. But um, as far as your questions about meeting people, um, yeah, the, uh, Wayne from Glass Tiger, he was on the show. He was like a guest host. I think he was the bassist with Glass Tiger. Okay. Um, I've since met Alan Frew, the lead singer. So I feel like full circle. Yep. Um, uh, the guys from Bare Naked Ladies, I know Stephen Page from Bare Naked Ladies brought his kids to be on an episode of the show. Um, but we were friendly in other ways, uh, more musically through radio and stuff like that, through the, the CFNY connection. And um, isn't there a story friend. there when you, you broke some early records of theirs or something? Yeah, like that? They, as well, when, when they were just signing to uh, the label at the time, I was moving to Buffalo stateside. And uh, the station I moved to was, um, we'll call a monitored station. Like it was a kind of a hit maker station. Like if it started there, if, if you broke a hit at this little Buffalo top 40 station, chances are it would grow. They would use that as an example or springboard or a launching pad for mm -hmm. a, a career. I will tell you that Tom Cochran's life is a highway. You can walk that right back to Nick playing that record on kiss and Buffalo. You can do that with bare naked ladies. You can do that with Alanis Morissette. Um, because these are records that uh, Alanis, oh, Alanis Morissette was part of kind of my group of friends in Toronto. I wasn't friends with oh, her, no hmm. but my friends were friends with her. So when, when she started recording music and signed to a U.S. label, I'm like, that's that girl that used to play the game of life with Jonathan and whatever. I'm like, and, you know, some of the other guys, I'm like, I know this girl and the song was really good. So I would play it because I knew her that launched that song. And so there were a bunch of sort of um, I would pay attention to Canadian artists because I knew them or had friends, you know, acquaintances right. and stuff like that. So um, yeah, there were, there were some, some nice radio hits that got launched. I didn't know Tom Cochran other than I lived in Oakville and he lived in Oakville <laughs> and I loved the song and I couldn't understand why it wasn't a hit in the U S because it's such a good song. And well, since then it sort of became a, Dude, it was on The Office. You know your songs made it when you are on an episode of The Office. 100%. Well, that's interesting because, uh, I mean, obviously we know this as Canadians that uh, our market is smaller. You know, our population oh, is yeah, smaller. Yeah, yeah. And so we have a lot more. The artists have more work to do to get noticed in the States, of course. And that's Yeah, I, I, you know, um, friends that do promo for, for, for record labels. And we'll tie this back into video on our K Top 10. There is a national top 40 um promotions director in Canada who used to be an intern and then a production assistant on video and arcade top 10. Oh, and wow. now he's a huge deal at universal music and hangs out with Lord and Katy Perry and whoever, you know, whatever other bands are hustling right now, mm -hmm. artists. Um, that dude was a production assistant on video and arcade top 10. And so, um, and there were, there were, there was actually a duo. There was Brian, and James and they kind of worked in concert with each other and they both have gone on to have really, really sweet careers kind of in broadcasting or, uh, you know, Brian does a lot of television stuff, um, mostly in China um, and South Korea, but he's an interesting character who got his start. And I would say kind of developed that bug on video and arcade top 10. So, um, you know, the, it's, it's a small industry. And I'll tell you that promoting a record or promoting a song or an artist in Canada, you know, it's a four city stop. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. A 40 city stop. Like it's a lot of work. 
So um, for whatever it's worth, big landscape, little little landscape, I respect the difference in both countries, but it's interesting to, to be part of that contrast because I was in Canadian radio. I worked at CFNY. I also worked for Energy FM for a couple of years right around um, uh, 2001 um, and, and got a grasp of, of the industry. Um, I prefer where I am now industry-wise just for whatever reason, I'm very comfortable here. Yeah. I was going to ask that, like, would you ever take another TV gig if it was something was proposed? Absolutely. I did stuff on the, the NBC affiliate here. I jump at stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, um, if they ever took you for a revival of video and arcade of some kind, if that absolutely, I'd jump on that in a second. There've, there've been many conversations. There've been, um, I'll say false starts or starts or, uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've gotten very close to doing something. And, um, that's where it is right now. And then quite honestly, uh, pandemic kind of, yeah, stalled the latest effort. Um, but there were some, there were some really cool people involved with it. So I'm happy. That's great. Again, I don't know. No, that'd be great. I mean, I don't know what, you know, now you'd be competing with all these other esports type. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) It it wouldn't, would it stand on its own? I hope so. Would it stand just for nostalgia? Why not? Uh, weirder things have happened. And, I would, yeah. Um, you would, you would have to play the old games again. I think that's what it would have to be. It'd be some sort of retro themed thing. You know, it's funny, Derek. We we sort of talked about how to um, marry those two things of nostalgia, old school versus reality now, mm-hmm. and we came up with a pretty sweet concept. And um, I, uh, I I can't explain what it was because um, I've been told not to. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. No problem. Um, so I'll respect that and just say, I think you would really dig it. I don't know how old it, what did you say your age? Do we know? Is that, yeah, no, I'm 32. I'll be 33 this oh, year. God, so dude, yeah. You're right in the zone. Yeah. yeah I'm in the zone. Be funny at, you know, Costco. All right. Yep. Yeah. I'll probably, I'll probably run into you there at some point when you're doing your <laughs> Canadian run something, but, uh, Nicholas, man, uh, I think we learned a lot today. It was so good to get, uh, you in the, in the decast studio here. And uh, where can uh, our other millennials find you now on Twitter and Instagram and all that? Uh, I am basically, I use the handle Nick in Buffalo um, on, let's see, Insta and Twitter. I'll Snapchat. If, if I was good looking, man, if I was like Derek Hoff, I'd be <laughs> snapping like a villain. Um, I don't TikTok yet. By the time I get on, it'll be done. True. And, um, I don't know. I Maybe just, clubhouse I, is the next thing you could hop on something like that. Was that a thing? Clubhouse Clubhouse is this thing where they, it's what? sort of video. You know, now that you know about chat. it, it's probably already done. <laughs> it's an invite only thing. So it's a very exclusive club. I've heard. Uh, All right. I will. Uh, yeah. Maybe only fans. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll get somewhere. Um, Nick and Buffalo is either find, or, or if your parents want to find me on Facebook, I'm Nicholas Pickles. And it's, I don't know if this is the spelling on the screen. Nobody knows how to spell the damn name. I've had a boss for, I don't know, 25 years, still gets it wrong. Um, But that was the point because your real last name was too long to use, right? That was the whole point. So ridiculous long Dutch name. Can we say it on air? Is it a, they can find it on Google if they really want to know, but. Oh, I lost you. It just, we just froze on Um, genetic roulette. I got it. Oh, go back for a sec. Say what you said. I'll cut it in here. I was, yeah, I was born with a 25 letter last name. And so I had to come up with something else, but I'm pretty easy to find. Um, 
in definitely in Western New York, I'm sort of, I'm around doing stuff. So um, whether it's DJing at an event or a casino or whatever, like I still do a lot of music stuff. And, but it uh, is a Dutch I'm, last name. You said it's very what? Dutch. Yeah. Very Dutch. Okay. So we're name. both from Dutch origins. I guess that makes sense with this whole geographic area. There's a lot of Dutch people, you know, Oh my New God. York, yeah, Ontario. Yeah. Woo. Um, you have the Dutch store though, where you are. Ramakers. Yep. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Um, I lived in the Netherlands as a little guy. I lived in oh. um, just outside um, sort of the Hague, Amsterdam area. And um, so it's a con. I don't know if you've ever been there. No, soon. I do yourself a favor. Go. It's the, I was, I was born in the U S I lived in Canada. I live here now. It's the only place I feel at home, mm-hmm. legit feel at home in the Netherlands. So um, I don't know, you know, go, go there at some point. Yeah. Oh, it's on my list. It's on my list. I got some family there, so maybe I can stay for free, you know, something like that. Sweet. But man, thanks again. And uh, we'll catch you at the revival show uh, episode of video on arcade top 10. Yeah. Get me my Simpsons alarm clock, dude. I'll work on, it. I'll send you an email. Yeah. We'll fix it up for you. Derek is nice to meet you. And, um, Great chat. You do a really good job. Thank you. Thanks. You too, man. Take care.